tonight I want to ask the question and then begin to answer it. You know, why don't people submit? You know, if folk realize that there is a, is a, an authority to submit to, why do people fail to submit? Well, that's a legitimate question, isn't it? I mean, we need to find out because then I think a lot of people might change and they might submit if they, you know, knew why they weren't submitting. So uh, let's answer that question from the Word of God. Why don't people that are insubordinate and not submissive, why do they not submit? Well, first of all, I think a lot of folk don't really know what submission is to begin with. You'd have to know what something is before you could do it. You know, you need to know what it is. And a lot of folk, that if you asked them, do you know what submission is, they'd say yes. But if you watch their life a little bit, they don't do it. So they must not know what it is. Are folk awake or what? I mean, <laughs> some of you looking for your Bible and some of you wondering if you made the right turn, if you're in the right church or not. Wouldn't that be true? I mean, you know, if you ask somebody, do you know what submission is? And they say, oh, yeah. But you watch their life and they don't submit. Well, they must not know what it is. Either they're liars, one of the two. Either one's not very good to be ignorant or to be a liar is not very good. I think it'd be better to be ignorant than it would be to be a liar. But either one is not very good because you get destroyed because of being ignorant and lack of knowledge. Right? Either way, we, we need to get this situation corrected, don't we? So uh, that's what we're going to do is define what submission is. Let me give you a definition of submission from, you know, different dictionaries. To submit means to yield to, to yield under. Actually, in the Greek, it's a military term. It means to arrange under, like in the military, you have rank. And like the centurion, you know, that said to Jesus, he said, I'm a man under authority and I have soldiers under me. In other words, I have superiors and I have people under me. He understood rank and that means he submitted to those that were over him. And the Bible says, submit yourself and obey them that have the rule over you. It's a matter of knowing your place. It's a matter of taking your place under those that have authority. That's what it means to submit. But you know... There's a real difference in, in what real submission is than what a lot of folk think. You know, a lot of people think that submission is just doing something that somebody wants you to do. If somebody wants you to do it and you do it, then you submit it. But not necessarily. In order to learn what submission is, I want us to look at the, you know, most outstanding example of submission in a man in the earth. And that's in Jesus. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. Amen. You know, he said in John, he said, I come not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus was always referring to the fact that he didn't say his own words. He didn't do just what he wanted to do, but he said what he heard the Father say. And he did what the Father showed him. And he did the Father's will. But you know, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews and look at some things that the Bible said about Jesus' submission because we want to find out what it is. And we know if we see Jesus doing it and we see what he did that's called submission, then we'll know that we are seeing real submission. And then we follow in his steps and we know we'll be truly submitting. In Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews chapter 2, and I want us to read uh, verse 9 and verse 10. Hebrews 2, verse 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory, that's us, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through what? Everybody say that word. Sufferings. Sufferings. Is that a Bible word? This is the Bible and there it is. 
He made the captain of our salvation perfect through what? Sufferings. Now don't leave now, but go to chapter 5. And we'll read verse 6. It says, talking about Jesus. Well, let me back up to get verse 5 as well. Hebrews 5, 5. It says, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made in high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, when I read this passage of Scripture and I hear the words strong crying and tears, I think of the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, I don't know if there were other times in Jesus' life and ministry where he had that kind of time of pouring out his soul and travail, but we do have that recorded, that he walked with his uh, disciples and he particularly took three of them with him on into the garden and he said, you know, watch here. And pray with me. Because he said his soul was in, in, in agony. And I mean he was pressed unto death. And then he, he went about a stone's throw. And he fell down and he began to pray. Lord you know if this cup could pass from me. You know all things are possible with you. But nevertheless not my will. But yours be done. Now there's a lot of truth we can learn from that happening. First of all, we see that Jesus truly became a man. He never ceased to be God. But the Bible said in, in Philippians that he laid aside his mighty weight in glory. One translation says he made himself of no reputation. Another said he emptied himself of his divine right and privilege and became like other men. And as a man, he had a will apart from God the Father. Are you listening? Obviously, elsewise, you know, how could you say, not my will, but my will be done? I mean, if he didn't have a will independent of the Father, that's what he's saying. But no, he said, not my will, but your will be done. What does that mean? That meant that his will was pulling away from what he saw. Are you listening? See, Jesus was not surprised by things that happened to him. The Bible says on a number of different occasions in the Gospels that he knew all things that were going to happen to him. He knew it by revelation of the Spirit. He knew it by prophecy in Isaiah and different places. And he knew what was going to happen to him. And he wasn't just recoiling from the physical agony as bad and as terrible as that was. A lot of times folk are, are too natural minded in, in the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus was not sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And his soul was not in agony over, over only the physical pain of crucifixion. Because if that were it, some of his followers were more courageous than he. If you read in the book of martyrs in different places, I mean, there have been some Christians that faced death boldly and courageously. Well, we know that couldn't be. What was the case? Jesus saw in the Spirit. And he saw his sinless, spotless spirit being poured, all of our sins being poured into him to the point where he became sin with our sin. And then he saw himself being separated from the Father. And that is what made him sweat, as it were, great drops of blood and cry, and strong crying and tears fall on the ground and say, Oh, Father, if it's possible, let, let's do this some other way. Let this cup pass from me. But then he came back with, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This 
is submission. Are you listening? Now here's the question. Was it easy for Jesus to submit to this? No. Strong crying, tears, sweat as it were, great drops of blood, his soul's in an agony. I wouldn't call that easy. That's hard. I call that suffering. That is suffering. The Bible said he suffered. He learned, though he were the son of God, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. This is submission. Now, you know, Jesus went to Golgotha, the place of the skull. But before he went to Golgotha, he went to Gethsemane. And friend, when you've been to Gethsemane, you can go to Golgotha. The soldiers crucified Jesus on a cross in Golgotha. But Jesus could do it. He could yield himself up to do it because Jesus crucified himself in Gethsemane. When you have dealt with your own soul and your own flesh at Gethsemane, it may be at the end of your bed. It may be off the road in your car somewhere. It may be in your bathroom floor. And your soul says no. And your flesh says no. And everything about your human natural being says no. And you pray it out. It may take you one hour, two hours, three hours. You may pray some prayers day after day. But when you get through your Gethsemane and you crucify your flesh and you get to the place where you can honestly say, not my will, but yours be done, and you see that that is His will, then friend, you can get up from that place of prayer, you can meet the enemy in the face, you can go right straight to Golgotha, you can do the will of God, and it makes no difference what happens on the outside, because you've already crucified yourself on the inside. That's submission. That's submission. And that's suffering. Real submission involves suffering. That might not make you shout. Rolling the floors. Today. But if you do it, you shout tomorrow. Because when you obey and submit, it opens the door for God's blessings on your life. And it shuts the door to the devil. You know, first Peter said, he that is suffered in the flesh, he ceased from sin. That's interesting, isn't it? He, he ceased and he no longer lives the rest of his life to the lust of the flesh and the will of men. Why? Because, friend, if you'll do that, even though it hurts, you'll crucify your flesh and submit, you'll taste and see that the Lord is good. And once you taste of some of those things, you won't go back. You cease to live your life after the lust of the flesh. Real submission involves suffering. Let me explain. We need to differ between agreement and submission. A lot of folk think that when they agree with those that are over them, they're submitting. But that's not real submission. Real submission involves yielding your will to another person's will. Amen. Your will is contrary to your superior's will. But then you say like Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We do it your way. That's what you say. That's the way it goes. Now, you know, I've talked with several people before, and they said this. They said, now, I usually submit to them, but now this time, and really, if you examine the situation a little closer, this is really the first time they've had to submit. 
First, really, first, really the first opportunity that they've had a real occasion to submit and they're blowing it. Do you know? I think, you know, I, I work for this ministry and I have superiors over me, pastor and dean brothers and several people, department head, Mr. Beerman and different people. And most of the time, you know, we have such wonderful people in leadership. I mean, you know, they, they hear from God and most of the time, anytime they say anything, you know, your own heart, you say, yeah, glory to God. Yeah. That's what I got in my heart too. But that's not submission. That's agreement. Are you listening? I said, that's not real submission. That's agreement. I got the same thing in my heart. So I say, yeah, let's go. But if if one of the leaders comes and says, you know, this is what I have in our heart that we should do. But in myself, I go, mm-mm. No. No, that's that's not what I have in my heart. That's I've been praying about this, and that's not. No. Now, I have an opportunity to submit. Are you listening? Real submission involves suffering. Your flesh suffers because your flesh wants to do it another way. Your mind wants to do it another way, but your superior and the authority over you says this way. And so you have to put it under. How many know there's a difference between submission and agreement? Can you see that? Boy, there's a difference. And I'm telling you, a lot of people don't know the difference. I mean, they think... If, you know, if my superior says something and I agree with it and I do it, I've submitted. No, you've agreed. And, and you're to be commended for that. But, when the opportunity comes to submit, don't fail your test. Are you listening? And opportunities will come. I don't care what kind of relationship you have. I don't care where you're at. Opportunities to submit will come. Yeah. And when they do, what do you do? Be quiet. Keep your opinion to yourself. Are you listening? Smile and say, yes, sir. Or yes, ma'am. Right away. You understand? Pass the test. Follow in the steps of your master. Learn obedience. It's hard to learn sometimes because it comes through suffering. But oh, it'll make you strong. You know, Brother Hagin uh, has a book entitled Must Christians Suffer? You ever read that? It's a good book. You know, a lot of folk are not too excited about the doctrine of suffering, though. What's the answer to that question, must Christians suffer? Yes and no. Depends on what you're talking about. Must Christians suffer from disease and sickness and be poverty stricken and be tormented in their mind? No, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Hallelujah. But is there some certain kinds of suffering that Christians must suffer? Yeah, if you're going to grow up in God. Now, you don't have to suffer much if you just want to stay a baby all your life. But if you want to grow up, yeah. Yes. You know, I, I, I'm convinced that a lot of people don't mature and develop spiritually because they don't stick it out in the tough places. The first time they get to a little suffering, they're gone. They feel led to do something else. You know it? Bless people's hearts. I mean, you know, they're all fired up. God led us to start a work. God led us to do this. God led us to get involved in this ministry. Then the first rough sailing they hit, God's leading them to do something different. Well, you know, I don't know. I think God's through with this. And uh, we're going to go on to something else. 
Look with me at 1 Peter again in the uh, fifth chapter. Now, you know, uh, 1 Peter is a, is a, the whole epistle has to do with suffering and glory. Two go together. Is that right? Are you excited about this or what? I mean, <laughs> love you looking at me funny. Now, First Peter 5. This is exciting, I'm telling you. You know, growing is, is not always comfortable. And if you, you, you learn and mature, the Bible said Jesus, you know, was perfected and learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Perfection has to do with maturity, among other things. And he was perfected through sufferings. Now sufferings, a spiritual suffering has to do with being tempted. That's the truth. It has to do with being tempted. And when you're tempted and you don't yield to it, you suffer. Because your flesh wants to do it. You're tempted to do it, but you don't let yourself do it. And that hurts your flesh, crucifies your flesh. And in order to walk in the Spirit, you have to crucify the flesh, Galatians. But notice this in 1 Peter 5, verse 10. It says, it's a prayer. And I've prayed this prayer for myself lots of times. Especially in certain times. And uh, boy, I wanted to leave out part of this. Every time I get to part of this, I want to leave it out. But it was right there. So I had to pray the whole thing. It says, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. After that you what? How many ever prayed the prayer, Lord, you know, from Philippians 3, Lord, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. You ever prayed that? You didn't stop there, did you? You know, you, you prayed the rest of the prayer, didn't you? Oh, you didn't know what the rest of the, Oh, yeah, going over to Philippians. It didn't stop there. It didn't stop right there. Go to Philippians 3. You know, charismatics are so bad about talking about other folks. They say, well, those folks, they just pick and choose what verses they want to believe. We believe the whole Bible. Is that right? You know, it's, it's almost amusing. When people stand up and say, I believe the whole Bible. The whole Bible. I believe it all. I doubt it. You don't even know it all. There's places back there where your pages are stuck together. You don't even know it. How could you believe it? It's easy to say, I'm a word person. That doesn't take very long, doesn't take much breath, but boy, it's another thing for it to really become a reality in your life. Are you listening? It's a growing process. Amen. When you say I'm a word person, you imply I only think the word. I only talk the word. I only live the word. I'm a word person. That's quite a statement. Quite a statement. We ought to be working on it for sure, but you know, don't just assume you're there automatically. Verse 9 says in chapter 3, I want to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. Yeah. You pray that part too, don't you? You don't? See, that's all part of it. That we might be made conformable to his death if by any means we might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. We are partakers of Christ's glory and resurrection life after we're made partakers of his sufferings. 
Now, there are two kinds of sufferings of Christ that you need to know about. The things that Jesus suffered is our substitute. We don't have to suffer. Amen? He took sin and he took the judgment for sin. I don't have to take that. Thank God. You don't either. He went to the heart of the earth and suffered torment for us. I don't have to go there. I'm not going there. My soul, I don't believe Jesus went to hell. Well, if he didn't, you are. Are you listening? The wages of sin is death. And if somebody didn't go and take your place, then you're going to go. I believe he did. That means I'm not going. Amen? Some side thoughts. Now notice... The fellowship of his sufferings. But the Bible says that the sufferings of this time and these things that we go through down here, they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. I mean, the, the discomfort that we may experience in putting our flesh under and doing what we, we are told to do by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, by those that have the rule over us, that temporary discomfort, as severe as it may seem at times, is nothing in comparison with the glory of God that is revealed on the obedient in this life and in the next. Amen. It doesn't cost to obey. It pays. Amen. It does. So the next time you have an opportunity to do it, just submit and obey. Amen. Now, let's continue to answer this question. Why do people not submit? Well, number one, I said, you know, I think a lot of folk just don't know what it is. But now that we know what it is, that'll help us for sure. But also another reason is a lack of, uh, kind of a continuation on the same thought. It's a lack of knowledge. People were never taught submission. You know, my generation that I, I've grown up in and, and just being able to touch some folk, you know, especially from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, we, we've come up in a rebellious generation. I mean, rebel against everything. We've had, you know, walkouts and sit-ins and marches and protests and flag burnings and underwear burnings and... I mean, you name it, we've had it. In defiance against established authority. Children defy parents. School children defy teachers and principals. And students defy college professors and deans. And people defy their employers. And people defy the government. And they do it all in the name of freedom. And I think some of that's carried over into charismatic circles. Because just as sure as you get to talking about some things, people will holler, Oh, now, don't put me in bondage. Don't try to minister condemnation to me. I'm free. <laughs> free. Yeah, but what part of you is free? Your flesh is free. <laughs> Did you know in a lot of situations, what is freedom to your flesh is bondage to your spirit. And what is freedom to your spirit means crucifying the flesh. It's bondage to the flesh. The Bible tells us that we've been called to liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but serve one another in love. Amen? We're free so we can serve. We're free so we can submit. We're free so we don't have to do what our flesh dictates to us. We can put it under and be servants to God and servants to each other. Amen. That's real freedom. Real freedom is not being able to yield to the lust of your flesh without getting kicked out of church. That's not freedom. There were some folk in the days of the New Testament when the epistles were being written that they had a lot of wrong ideas. And they said in the last days it's been prophesied that there'd be people come. They would turn the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ into lasciviousness. And they said, oh, we're under grace. 
It's all right to do anything. And we got people in charismatic churches that commit adultery on Saturday night and they sing in the choir on Sunday. Are you listening? And they rationalize it away. Well, I'm just fulfilling some biological necessities. Is that right? We need to be free to serve. Amen? We are servants. And we are to be examples of folk that know how to keep their flesh under. Amen. I think one reason that folk don't know how to submit, they were never taught how to submit. They weren't taught at home. Now that's the first place you should learn submission is at home. Not the church. The church reinforces it. Amen. Teaches us Bible things. But the first place you should learn authority is at home. Are you listening? You should learn what authority is about and have the proper authorities at home. The first persons you should learn to submit to is your parents. Somebody said, oh, it's God. No, it's your parents. Because until you're old enough to have a relationship with God on your own, you're under the care of your parents. Little child, is, I mean, their spirit's alive unto God, all right, but they don't know anything with their mind. And, you know, until they grow and develop and get old enough. Now, the first place you learn, or should learn, submission is with your parents. Do you know, I learned a lesson about final authority from my parents. You know what I mean by that? Every Christian needs a final authority. It needs to be God. It needs to be the Word of God, and then God's established authority. But I learned a, a, an important lesson about final authority. I remember one day we were just not too old, not not even in our teens, I don't think. And uh, one of my friends came over and he said, let's go swimming in the pond across the road. Now, my mother had forbade me to go swimming in the pond. I mean, she had threatened me about what would happen to me if I went swimming in the pond, and especially if I took my little brother, who was younger than I. And it was terribly dangerous. Deep pond. We're just little kids. But I wanted to go. My flesh wanted to go. And so when your flesh wants something bad enough, you're looking for excuses. You're looking for some loophole somewhere. Is that right? And so one of my friends came over, little Jimmy and Marlon and some other ones, and they said, uh, Jimmy's mom said it'd be all right. To go? I said, she did. He said, yeah. <laughs> and Marlon said, yeah, I think it's all right. I said, you do? He said, sure. Jimmy's mom said, be fine. I said, great, let's go. <laughs> so we went. Oh, Lord, it was dangerous as a wonder somebody hadn't drowned. So it happened, I could swim. We had been water skiing and stuff already, and I could swim. And uh, but the older, well, some a couple of the older ones couldn't swim. I didn't know it. We got off out in the pond and, and walked a few steps, and then poof, it dropped off. And one of the other ones started yelling and, and going down. And I was able to help drag it out. So wonder we both hadn't drowned, you know? Just the mercy of God, I'm sure. But that was the easy part. <laughs> When we got back home, my grandmother, who was keeping us while my parents, parents were working, she, uh, she realized that we were wet, of course, and <laughs> didn't take her too long to deduce what had happened, and promptly told my mother when she came in. And my mother called me into the room, and I went with some great hesitation. <laughs> and, uh, she said, what did you do this afternoon? I said, well, let's see. We, uh, we ran in the woods. We played in the barn. We ate some SpaghettiOs. We, let's see. She said, no, I mean late this afternoon. Like Marlon and Jimmy came over and we talked with them and played and had fun. What else did you do? 
we uh, we went to the pond. She said, I thought so. She said, listen to this now. She said, who told you you could go to the pond? <laughs> I said, well, uh, Jimmy's mom said it'd be all right. But she, uh, she said, yeah, but Jimmy's mom is not your mom. And I told you don't ever go near that pond. And you're going to get a spanking. And I did. <laughs> a severe one. I didn't forget it anytime soon. But I learned it didn't make any difference what Jimmy's mom said. <laughs> my mom and my dad was my final authority. Is that right? Notice with me back in Genesis real quickly. You'll see something that sounds familiar. You know the story. Genesis 3. God has made Adam and Eve and he told them, don't you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden because in the day that you do, you will surely die. Eve and Adam is with her. We find out later on, hanging around this tree. And the serpent says, did God, what did God say about this? And Eve, boy, rattled it off just like that. She knew exactly what God said. She wasn't confused about it. But then he began to deceive her, question God's integrity in the matter. And you know the story, they ate. And then they were afraid because they realized they were naked and they, they hid themselves. And verse 8 of Genesis 3 said, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and he said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Notice this, verse 11. He said, unto the, he said Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree that I commanded you that you should not eat? Who told you? See, Adam had bowed his knee to a foreign authority. That's why God asked him, who told you? Boy, we need to get a hold of that. You know, the centurion had a revelation of authority being the man and the soldier that he was, and he had a revelation of faith because of it. Remember the story in Matthew 8? Centurion had a servant, and he was grievously tormented and vexed, and, and he sent word and asked Jesus, to, to heal his servant and Jesus came and said I'll heal him and the centurion said I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof but just speak the word only and my servant will be healed because I'm a man under authority having soldiers under me I say to this soldier you know go and he goes to this one come and he comes to my servant do this and he does it and he says I recognize you have authority and all you have to do is say the word Jesus turned around and he looked at the people. He, he marveled. He said, I have not found such great faith. No, not in Israel. Do you know why some people have a great difficulty believing God for healing, for prosperity, for a lot of other things? Because they never learn how to submit to authority. It's true. Let me show, I'll prove it to you further. They never have learned how to submit properly to authority. This man has a revelation. He recognizes the Lord as the final authority in this situation. And when Jesus said the word, as far as he's concerned, that's it. Now see, a lot of soldiers, though, in the army of God, they come up to the Lord to make a request. Their uniform is in disarray. Their shoes haven't been shined. They're untied. And their hats cocked off the back of their head. And they say, Lord, I'm sick and I want to be healed. He says, uh, by my stripes you're healed, soldier. Yeah, I know I read that, Lord, but you don't understand. I mean, I'm hurting and this is, and the doctor said it. And see, no respect for authority. Are you listening? You know what we ought to do? This man got results. His servant got healed. Jesus said, you know, be it done to you. 
according to what you believe. And the centurion said, thank you, sir. And that was the end of it. And the man was healed. What we ought to do is come up. Uniform button, shoes shine. And we say, permission to be healed, sir. And he says, soldier, you are healed. We say, thank you, sir. And we turn and we go our way. Authority. Jesus referred to a man that had a revelation of authority as a man that had great faith. You will never have great faith unless you have a revelation of authority. Unless when God says it, you don't question it, you don't examine to see if it feels like it or looks like it, you've got an order. Thank you, sir, and you go. Amen. I'm telling you with that kind of faith, you'll cross the impossible. You'll move mountains. You'll do great exploits in the name of the Lord and to His glory. And you'll receive whatever you need. When you get God's Word on it, that's the end of it. Amen? But see, folks that don't know submission, they argue with you. Yeah, I know the Lord's... But... See, any any time folks argue the Word, they're choked with unbelief. When the Lord tells you something... Whether you can understand it or not, you know, you don't have to, if your superior in the army gives you an order, you don't have to understand everything that's going on. You just do it. You just do it. Are we in an army or not? Does the Bible refer to us as soldiers? You know, I tell you, this, this would be a good sermon title. You're in the army now. Are you listening? You're in the army. Now, a lot of people, they never woke up yet. They think they're still, you know, just, hey, wake up. You're in the army now. You don't live your own life. You don't do your own things. We're in the army of God. We take orders from headquarters. And we don't question and wrangle. We don't fight and argue and fuss. We just hear and obey and do. Amen. And when we all start functioning like that, I'm telling you, the devil's been afraid that we're going to get a hold of that revelation of our authority and our rank and our place. Because when we all stand up as a mighty force and follow the single orders of our master and commander, there is nothing that can withstand us. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. There is nothing that can stop this mighty moving force. Hallelujah! Nothing! Nothing! But folk got to learn to submit. Got to learn to submit. And see, everybody doesn't take direct orders from the commander-in-chief. Are you listening? Well, I just get my orders from God Almighty Himself. Is that right? Now, some things, that's true. God will talk to you directly about, you know, your personal things. You know, my car and my house and my family and my kids and my job and, you know, yeah. But when it comes to some things where the move of God is concerned, He's going to give some direction to your leaders. And if you try to talk to Him about it and go over their head, you're going to get in trouble. He won't even talk to you about something. You know, you need to say, the Bible says Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. But how many ever looked at a vine and a branch? A lot of times you got a vine, then you got a branch, and then what else you got? You got branches off the branch, and a branch off the branch, off the branch, and a branch. Right? Well, now you know, personally, as far as your personal relationship with the Lord, you are directly connected with the vine. Right? But ministerially, ministerially, a lot of times there are some other connections. Are you listening? Now, you know, the Lord's called me into the ministry, and I have a ministry. But my ministry is connected in to the Hagen ministry. And there's some things I won't get from my ministry unless I stay hooked into this supply. 
I've tried to, I've tried to tell some folk about that. And they didn't believe it. I've tried to tell folk, you know, I, I, I've seen people that came to school. We have some students here, so I'm going to talk a little about this, and it all has to do with some different principles. But I, I know some folk that came to school, and, and then they, they were called to the ministry, and then they left, and they went out, and you didn't see them for five years. Because they didn't feel any need to stay hooked, you know. I mean, God talks to me. He'll tell me what I need to know. That's partly true and partly not true. depends on what you're talking about. They showed up. Found out they were several years behind. The fact. You might say, I don't believe that. I believe God will tell me everything I need to know right by myself on the field. We'll just find out, hardhead. Because God will give you some things through the, we might say, the mother ministry that He's hooked you with. Now, this is not the only ministry doing anything for God. There are a lot of good works. But God, if God calls you to hook up with this church, are you listening? Then you better stay hooked. You better not miss Sunday morning service or Sunday night service or Wednesday night service because there is a supply that comes to you through that ministry. And if you sever yourself from it, you cut yourself off from the supply. Amen. And you've got to stay where God has joined you. Amen. You've got to stay right there. We're talking about suffering a few minutes ago. You know, Brother Hagin said in that book I referred to, he said that the reason he's so established today is because he suffered. Go read it and see. What does that mean? Remember him talking about one particular church where he, he went there and he said when he preached it felt like, you know, the sermon bounced off the wall, hit him in the face, and he'd tell his wife after the service, said, boy, if I knew, if I didn't know for sure God told me to be here, I'd load up to you hall and I'd be gone in the morning. They'd wonder what happened to Brother Hagin. <laughs> but the end of the story is he didn't go. He stayed. He stuck it out. You know, doing that, doing that causes you to grow. So many times folk come to a church and they say, oh, you know, God sent me here. He sent me here. And they tell the pastor, we're behind you. And they, we're, we're here. And then maybe something's preached they don't particularly like or something rubs them wrong a little way. Some usher didn't act just the way they thought he should to them or ask them not to knock people over, get into the front seat or something like that. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they get offended. Ever heard that word? offended, you don't see them. Maybe somebody calls and says, well, you know, I haven't seen you around, and I'm not coming back. You know, why? Well, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. Well, I thought you said the Lord led you here. Well, yeah, but I'm not coming back. We see, the devil will try to do anything, lie to you, deceive you, anything, to cut you off. From your supply. Amen. But you've got to override that. The big issue is, you know, you know, did God tell you to be there? Well, if God did with you to be there, I don't care if they call you names every Sunday. You better go. Are you listening? It's not a matter just of personalities that you like or don't like. You better get there. Are you listening? You just, I mean, you know, the pastor might ask him, so, well, did God send you here? Well, yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, did he tell you to go? Uh, I recommend you stay and obey God. Are you listening? So a lot of people think it's a real privilege for you to have me here. They have that kind of attitude. Bless God, I put my money in here and I come and fill up a chair and breathe the air. Do a lot of things. You ought to be thankful that God lets you have a place. And that you have a part. Amen. Are you thankful that God lets you have a place? And God lets you have a part? Are you glad? Are you willing to, to, to give and to work and to submit? Amen. And suffer if need be? So many times when folk need the most help, that's when folk get up and run. 
You just watch it. A lot of times, if something starts happening and a few folk leave, a lot of people will get up and leave behind and say, well, you know, it's not going ever just right and good. Well, what kind of folk are that? I mean, you know, what kind of person is it that leaves you when you need them? There's a lot of people who will be with you when you don't need them. But then when you need them, they're hard to find. They're just good time buddies. Man, you got buddies like that in the world. Sinners got buddies like that. As long as you got money and fun time, they're with you. When the money's gone, they're gone. A lot of folks, if a church starts having a little financial trouble, they're gone. If somebody's, you know, lambasting the church or the pastor or the minister in the media or something, people say, oh, I don't know. I don't want to be associated with that girl. And they pull out. The very moment when it begins to get a little rough and people begin to hurt a little bit, they pull out. Well, I tell you this. Those people will not be a partaker of the glory either. If you are not a partaker of the tough times, you won't be a partaker in the full sense of the good times. Oh yeah, you might get in on some of the natural things. I'm talking about, I mean the real goodies. I'm talking about, yeah, thank God for the natural, but I'm talking about the real goodies. The spiritual blessings. Oh! You just watch. You forsake a ministry, you forsake a church when it's down and needs your help and needs your support, and the next thing you know, you're here. Well, they're having revival over that Ramah, and now you're ready to go. But you're behind. You probably have to go to the altar three times and repent and pray through <laughs> before you can really get blessed good. <laughs> Maybe not. But I think you get my drift. Praise God. Stand up with me, would you please? We've gone long enough. Oh, Lord. Praise God. How many believe we're going somewhere? God's using us. We're learning. In the Bible, it's prophesied about an army. Doesn't break rank. Bold as a lion. If walls get in front of them, they go right over them. Nothing stops them. Is that us? Praise God. Amen. Everybody say, Lord, Lord make, me a blessing. make me a blessing. Teach me truth. Teach me truth. Help me to know what real submission and obedience is. And when I get in a, when I get in a situation, help me to realize what's going on. And not run. And not quit. And not give in to the flesh. But to stick. And to, and to stay so that I can be a partaker, so be a partaker. Of, the glory of the glory that shall be revealed. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.